0: We're back. With another (laughs)
1: with another episode of Maybe Next Time.
0: I am your host William Lewis with my co-host Simon McCormack.
1: Net's nation the Postal Service is crumbling with our democracy.
0: You know what? Voting is overrated. <laughs> you, you and I
1: have always been um, a bit skeptical of the uh, you know the true impact of voting, but I think you and I would both agree: voting beats a <laughs> perpetual rule by a madman. <laughs> Even you and I would agree,
0: right? In a in a in a country where. All forms of written communication are now more or less abolished. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, anyway, we're, we're recording live from a blissed-out U.S. of A, people. Uh, this is a show about the Brooklyn Nets. We are back as we are each and every unrelenting week to talk all things Nets Nation. We have a very special show, Simon, for our listeners this week. We're going to have a guest. Yes, that's right. Uh, Alex Schiffer of The Athletic will be joining us in just a few minutes to give us his take both on how the nets are doing in bubble land, what they what he thinks about the playoff chances though i I personally Simon am not going to dwell on on what he thinks about the playoffs i don't i, I don't think anyone has much to say on it beyond maybe we win a game or two, um, but I would very much like to pick his brain about the Nets uh, going forward, what he thinks about next season, what he thinks about some of our stars, not to give too much away, but um, I'm excited to talk to him. Yeah, me too. Uh, So that said, we will be having a guest in just a few minutes, after which Simon and I are going to do an in-depth. Bubble breakdown. We're gonna hand out some awards for who, you know, did well in the bubble. Who was an utter failure in the bubble? Just on the nets. We're not. We're not talking about the NBA at large. Right. Uh, we, we we would never presume to speak about a subject we were not total masters of.
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: <laughs> um, all right, but Simon, the. The playoffs do begin in two days, right? For the Nets, or do, yes. we, do we play Monday or Tuesday? Monday. Monday, great. So we got two days till they till they start. How are you feeling? I'm feeling amazing, William.
1: I'm I'm I have n- I have not felt anywhere near this good uh, this year. Uh, it's been one giant. Shitstorm after another for the Nets this year. There's been basically no good news. It's hard to think of any good news. Um, and then the Nets come to the bubble. Everyone, including you and I, expects them to maybe win one game, maybe win two five games.
0: Oh, what are you doing to that microphone, man? Oh, I don't know. You're assaulting it. I am. Yeah, I was just very, very scratchy there. I couldn't. Oh, I couldn't hear you. Better. But keep going about the good news, Nets. I'm loving it.
1: Is it better now?
0: It's better. Yeah, when you're not heavily petting it while you're talking, is uh, is positive thing.
1: Oh, I'm loving touching. Touch.
0: I know you are. <laughs> I'm a
1: very tactile person. <laughs> <laughs> My sense of touch is heightened. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> Anywho, gonna gonna break in for some SMR here. Uh, no, um, yes, the you know the Nets go five and three, very nearly six and two, uh, come within one shot of beating the Trailblazers, you know, and I think I've sort of forgotten how how far just like playing together as a unit can get you like if you are a team with zero talent but you still are willing to pass the ball around until the most open person gets it and shoots it that goes like kind of alarmingly far like it's not going to win us any um playoff series or anything probably won't win us even a game in the playoffs but it is a potent weapon
0: Um, Yes, particularly against uh, teams who may be sort of resting or taking it easy, like the Bucks and the Clippers, or a team like the Blazers, who just essentially don't have a defense. (laughs) Um, That was, though, I got to say, that that Blazers game for me was – one of the most exciting sporting events I have witnessed in a very, very, very long time. It brought back all of the Nets love from years past. It felt like a very gritty, scrappy team that really gave a damn, um, which is, is not a, a feeling you get uh, on the new Kyrie led Nets. Very often, but it was great. It was a great experience. We watched it as virtual fans again. Um, again, not that satisfying a watching experience. No, through the old Microsoft Teams app. But nice to have our faces up there. I don't know if the broadcast ever caught it. the The, the image was so bad through our stream that it was hard to say. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, things are things are things are looking up in Nets Nation. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, so we are going to turn now to our interview with Nets beat reporter for the Athletic, Alex Schiffer, and then we will get back to you with our bubble breakdown.
1: Uh, we are joined by The Athletic's Alex Schiffer. Um, Alex is the beat reporter for your Brooklyn Nets. Um, and folks who do not subscribe to The Athletic um, definitely should. You can subscribe for as little as four ninety nine a month. Um, excellent Nets content. And, you know, Sham Sharani is on there. Our rival podcast, The Blue Guys, is on there. Um, lots of... Uh, Lots of great um, reasons to, to listen um, so uh, with that I'll kick it over to you uh, William all
0: right thanks uh, thanks again for joining us Alex. Um, I don't think we want to spend a, a huge amount of time right now talking about the playoffs uh, if that's okay with you I think I think we're probably all in agreement that it's it's likely we're not going to make it past the first round.
2: You pessimists. Uh,
0: (laughs) I mean, yeah, you know, they, they, five and three was a pretty incredible showing. I don't think, uh, definitely, we didn't think that was going to happen. But, uh, so yeah, certainly anything could happen. But I think we're kind of curious about uh, bigger picture Nets stuff from your perspective. So I wanted to, I wanted to kick things off by throwing out three names of Nets players, okay? And I'd like you to tell us which one of the following three you think is least likely to be a net next season.
2: Wow, I like this. Different type of game. Okay, (laughs) let's do it. All right.
0: The three nets are Jared Allen, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis Levert.
2: Okay, and you want me to order them in terms of most likely to come back, or, or least likely to come back, or, uh, and with a thought for each? Or, or yeah, yeah. Let's do. Let's do.
0: Yeah, let's do from most likely to come back to least likely.
2: Okay, um, most likely to come back. I would start with Karis because of how well he's played in the bubble, and um, I also think Kevin Durant's recent endorsement of him would tend to lead toward the Nets trying to keep him, especially with his contract and everything. Um, And I think that he deserves a chance to see if he could be the third star or just to play along those guys in general. Second, I would go with Spencer Dinwiddie just because of Kyrie Irving's injury history. And I think that if Kyrie, something were to happen to him to where Spencer Dinwiddie to take over, I don't think the ceiling of this team is lowered that much um and he's played also well enough to where I think he he deserves a chance to see what he can do alongside the rest of the roster but I I I understand that there's reason for him to be a trade chip um and I would put Jared Allen last just because he's due for an extension this summer and if I were his agent I would kind of wonder why he's played well enough to be a starter and is coming off the bench And I think if there's anything we learned from Kenny Atkinson's departure, since you guys read The Athletic, I'm sure you saw Shams and I's story. Um, DeAndre Jordan is probably going to be starting for this team for the near future. Yep. And, um, and, you know, to a team that's looking to get better but stay under the cap, his contract is very attractive on a one-year deal. And I've also even wondered if the Nets would try to extend Jared and then if he were to get traded – what would that look like in terms of a team having him under control for a lot more years under probably a reasonable deal? Um, and, yeah, I mean, as good as he's played, I, I just have a hard time seeing him start based on everything we know. And as a, just a disclaimer, there's no reporting behind any of that. That's just my educated guesswork for, for the list before people run to the blogs and right. aggregators and whatnot. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I to me, that's just so sad. I mean, I, I think it's totally right, but I just think you know it's it's just really sad that Jarrett has clearly shown that he is a is a starter right now, and he's just not going to get the time because f- somehow like friendship trumps that.
2: You, you know, I, I think it's um, I think it's a very interesting situation because if, you know Jarrett Allen's a very nice, easy to get along with guy. You know, is there a part of him that says you know even maybe taking a a, a small extension of let me see what the next two or three years, how they go. And if we, you know, if I get a ring, um, then, all right, maybe then it's time to adios or is, is he content as a backup? You know, I, I understand some people might be in that sense, but if you're him, I don't know why you would be given how he's played. Um, but no, I I agree completely. I think it's a very, um, it's a very interesting situation. I think it kind of shows just the world we live in with player empowerment and, and, and the influence that some of these bigger names have. Um, but I, I think it's going to be interesting to kind of see how it all develops because I – you know, I – since you guys read me, I I don't know where you guys stand on this, but I have long beat the drum that I think the Nets are a better team without making a trade this offseason. Um um, some people think I'm crazy. Um, and since I'm just meeting you guys, I really hope one of you wasn't the one that emailed me the day after Kenny got fired and said, this coaching search is pop a bitch or bust. that took me for a loop. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but, um, but, um, uh, but you see, you guys seem reasonable, but, um, but <laughs> I, I just think that, um, I just think if you're him or you're someone in his camp, I don't know why you'd want to sign up for more of this outside of trying to win a ring. Right. And along, I know you mentioned Popovich
1: um, just now. I and I also saw that you tweeted out odds from I think Bet Online uh, for the Nets' new coach, and I was quite surprised. I don't know if you were to see that Greg Popovich was at seven to four, so like better than two to one odds, Um, and he was the second one listed after Ty Lue. Um, First, who do you who would you guess is going to be the Nets um, head coach next year? And what do you make of the whole Greg Popovich thing?
2: Yeah, um, real quick on those BetOnline.ag ads, too. They had Tom Thibodeau in those odds. which if, if you take the money on Tom Thibodeau and win, that would just be wild to me, by the way, switching New York teams on that. that so interesting board on that front. <laughs> I would say right now, either Ty Lu or Jacques Vaughn. Um, I think what's going to be a little interesting, especially in this next week, is we don't know how quickly these coaching searches are going to go. And so, you know, the Pelicans job opened up today, which I've been told to keep an eye on Kenny Atkinson and Ty Lu for that job. Obviously, Kenny's already been linked to the Bulls, which I'm sure you guys saw a day or two ago. Uh-huh. So I, I kind of wonder, um, and, and then, you know, also Doka, who was on Sham's list the other day, is another name I think is going to come up with the Bulls job. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to kind of see who makes their decisions before the Nets do. You know, and, and does that kind of take a person or two out of the running? So I, I would say right now the Nets head coach for next season would be Jacques Vaughn or Ty Lu. Um, just based on, on what I know, but I, I think that could very well change. You know, what happens if, if Ty Lue goes to New Orleans and Doka gets the Bulls job? You know, then, then then it's going to be an interesting situation, I think, as to where, where could they go next. Um, as for Popovich, you know, um, I, I understand that obviously there's the ties between uh, Sean Marks and, and Pop. My my whole thing is, and I obviously don't know the guy. I I do enjoy his press conferences as much as he can joke with us. But he's seventy-one. He's got five rings. He's on the Mount Rushmore of NBA head coaches. And as far as I'm concerned, what more does he have to prove? Um, You know, his his wife obviously passed away in the last few years. Where's he? You know, his his whole family's in San Antonio. He's been there his whole career. I just don't know what people think, why people think he has something to prove at this age. He he talked about in March when the Nets played the Spurs at home that he likes coaching a young team, and it's been really fascinating uh, to kind of see these guys, you know, be in a different situation like that after all these years of contending. And, And something that I don't think people are talking about enough with this is Greg Popovich has won with, in my opinion, very low maintenance stars. Tim Duncan. Did you ever see his name in the, in the news for anything outside of basketball or, or in general? You know, he's a very right. mellow guy, keeps to himself. Tony Parker was a bit of a, a later pick in the first round that came in relatively unknown. Uh, Manor Ginobili, we all know how low he went. Um, you know, Greg Popovich has won with star players, but not really guys that fit the Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving mold and, and based on their history. So it's just like, yeah, he's he's a winner. He'd be the best available option, but, but at his age, does he really want to do this? And... You know, is he really the answer for these guys given the the type of person he's won with at San Antonio, if that makes
0: sense? Yeah, it makes yeah. it makes total sense. I I I can't imagine uh you know, we we've talked about it in sort of in relation to Phil Jackson and the reputational hit job he took when he went to the Knicks front office. Right? Yeah. So like that has that has like had a lasting bad negative effect on his how he's perceived around the league Phil Jackson. And I don't see Popovich wanting to risk that coming to a situation with two um sort of infamous superstars for sort of creating uh uncomfortable situations in locker rooms.
2: Agreed. And um you know I I think with – because I've, I've already been trying to do some stuff for whenever the season ends, to have some stuff in the, ready to go on the coaching search. I, I don't know about you guys, but um, my, my opinion on the Nets going into next season is that, you know, I don't know if you need as much of a coach. It's like, it's like in football, right? Uh, you guys football fans, like, you, you know, there's a difference between an elite quarterback sometimes and just a game manager. Like, I, I think the Nets offense next year runs itself. I mean, it's give the ball to Kevin and Kyrie and get out of the way. And uh, depending upon how the defense sets them up, kick it out the Karis or whoever is, is there um, and, and kind of go off of that. And that's a very basic uh, you know, obviously they'll have some kind of scheme but you know what I mean. Uh-huh. You know, I, I just think you need a coach that can maybe mask some of the defensive deficiencies because there's not really a lot of lockdown defenders. I think David Nuova would have been a huge guy to have for next year's team. I don't blame them for, for waving him because of an Achilles when you had no idea, you know, when they waved him no one knew this pandemic was coming and what things would look like. So, you know, you can't fault them on any of that. But, um, but I just think you need a guy that can handle the locker room and the personalities at hand. And when you need them to out coach the guy on the other end of the bench or have a player, get creative in the playoffs against a Mike Budenholzer or a Steve Kerr or whoever they're capable of doing that. I think those are the two biggest things I'm thinking about is the, the management and the personalities in the locker room. And then just the, what can they help out defensively given this team's liabilities there or looking to be liabilities and, you know, are they maybe not able to be an elite coach, but an elite coach when it matters, when they need them to be?
0: Right. Yeah. No, that that makes a lot of sense. Well, I will say we <laughs> we said when the rumors about Kevin Durant uh, coming to Brooklyn first emerged, Simon and I both <laughs> declared that there was a 0% chance that that was going to happen. And the same thing has happened with Popovich. As soon as we heard those rumors, people were talking about it in the block where we sit during the season. Um, And we were just like out out of hand, dismissed it, said there's a 0% chance. So there is some precedence for us being 100% wrong on these things. But I do think... I do think it's extremely unlikely that he's going to come next season, and and like well, you said, I and, think it's a really good point. I don't, I just don't know that he would be he would be the best one for the job, uh, in in any in any case, because it, it really is going to be about managing two incredibly prickly uh, personalities. I think.
2: And Dan Wilkie of the uh, L.A. Times, whose story we've been referring to on this show, he said that um, that. You know, the the odds are this isn't going to this is, you know, the Nets pursuit isn't going to be successful. I've just looked at this the whole time as uh, are you guys college football fans? Um, Not really. uh, Okay, well, you know, you know how like when there is and even just a coaching search in general, but I I mainly look at this from covering colleges when there's a coaching change. They say this is the guy you got to go to to tell you no before you look at any of the other candidates. I think Pop is the guy you go to and have him tell you no before you start everything else. You know what I mean? Sure, yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of how I've always looked at this.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, all right, I wanted to bring up one thing from your Five Things article the other day. Okay. Uh, it was Karis's Bubble Stats. Yes. Um, two that sort of stood out to me were his effective field goal percentage, which was under 50 percent. And then his three point percentage, which was under 30 mm-hmm. percent. And in terms of him, uh, as you said, you're sort of into um, not trading for that third star. Those are kind of worrying numbers. Um for me, just the inefficiency in scoring and how he really needs the ball in his hand quite a lot. do you think that if he if he remains as sort of the the third star, do you see him as uh, a starter or do you see him more as like a sixth man Lou Williams off the bench type scorer?
2: I, I see him as a starter because I mean as of right now, if there's no trade made and, you know, Joe Harris is re-signing, Garrett Temple's team options pick back up, this is my first and second string for the Nets next year. Uh, Kyrie, Karras, Joe, DeAndre, and um, – Kyrie, Karras, Joe, DeAndre, and, oh, Kevin Durant um, in the starting lineup. And then a second string of, of Dinwiddie, Garrett Temple, Torian Prince, Jared Allen, and maybe, you know, either Rodion's or Nick Claxton as that that – other that four spot. Mm-hmm. Um and, and I think that's what makes him a pretty good team on that front. And I, I just think that um I, I agree that the numbers are glaring. You know, it's it's interesting to me because if you really want to get into some of those numbers, I mean um he he had a much different team around him in March, which I kinda touched on. Obviously, you know, they had Dinwiddie, DeAndre, they and they they had a lot more help around him and he didn't have to do as much. And so, you know, I, I think it was natural that his, um, his three-point shooting would, would take a dip and his efficiency would take a dip given how much they've asked out of him. But, but I, I think that of those two sets, the effective field goal is the more eye-popping number just because, you know, as, as good as he's been, he still hasn't been as efficient as, as you'd want him to be. Yeah, and you know, I think the three point shooting will, will be better next year, just because again, he won't, he'll be like third or fourth in the scouting report if he's there, and, and depending upon who else is around him, um, and I think that that'll help him. But but the efficiency, I definitely think is is interesting. But again, you so know, how much of it's also he's playing with a bunch of newcomers outside of Joe, Jared, and Garrett, really, um, and and get, and he's had to kind of adjust to all of that. So I. I definitely think it's concerning, and it's it's definitely something to keep an eye on, but I don't think the panic button goes on the table until if he's there next season and we're having a similar conversation in, I don't know what kind of month to put, because we have no idea when he's going to start, but let's just say like two months into the season. Then I think you start to wonder, like, all right, you know, is maybe he in over his head, or this isn't the fit we, we thought it could be? You know what I mean?
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I think part of that effective field goal percentage too is his. He's he's got a really bad free throw percentage.
2: Yes. He he's not been there where where I thought he'd be, and that's the thing. that's done a decent job of getting to the line given given the circumstances. But they, I think in general they haven't been as good of a three point free throw shooting team as um as, as they could be.
1: Yeah, and I'm curious, Alex. If when it gets to the point, either if it's the beginning of this year, or if let's say, heaven forbid, um, things are not going well with with Karras, um by the, the middle of, of of next year, who do you see as potential suitors for for Karras? if any? Do you feel like he'll he'll have some he has some draft uh, trade value?
2: Yeah, I um, I, I think it's tough to say just because we don't know what the market's going to look like. And I mean, are are they trying to trade Karis just to um, unload some salary, which they could definitely use some help with, or is it trying to put something together at the deadline next year for a third star? Um, I uh, I, I think that he's going to have a market regardless. He has such a friendly contract and could play both guard spots. I, I think that teams will definitely find a home for him. I, I just think it comes down to you know if, if he's not um compatible alongside Kyrie and Durant is he maybe that way for another team that that's looking at you know maybe thinks they're a piece away you know I look at a team like and I don't know who the Nets would even want on this team but just now like Memphis they have Jaron Jackson Jr. John Morant um Brendan Clark and they're gonna have John T. Porter next year as another piece. You know, it was, is he the wing that they add to kind of build with that group? You know what I mean? A team that might need just uh, – has a, has a young point guard or, or is established there and, and down lower on the perimeter, and they, they want to add someone on the wing as, as a combo guard. Does he fit someone like that, or is it a team that, that's more closer to contending and, and is trying to suit up um, or, or make a run at this thing? So I think he'll have suitors for sure. Um, I just think the context as to what um, – what the market is and what the Nets are looking to get in return for him is going to shape out the beat.
0: Yeah, I think he's done a lot to increase his uh, trade value, too, throughout this bubble, for sure. Especially that game against Portland. I mean, the broadcast they were fawning over him the whole time, so that'd be good. Um, I'd kind of like to switch gears to the the, um, two stars, KD and Kyrie, Um, and... I was curious. Katie had a, a famously um, contentious relationship with the Bay Area media. In particular, one of your your colleagues at The Athletic, Ethan Sherwood Strauss, who I'm uh, a big fan of. I just read his book. It's very good. Um, from what you've noticed so far, what is his relationship with uh, the Brooklyn reporters like? Do you have much access to him? Was he available to media much this season? Just curious from from you know someone like you who who has quite a lot of access to these players what kd has been like um this season
1: oh i think you're on mute alex
2: am i back
0: Ah, uh, you're yeah. back yeah
2: okay i i i i to take my thought i all right i hit the wrong button my bad anyway um we don't, you know, we've only talked to him once or twice. Um, he, he spoke at media day, um, beginning of the season. And, you know, pregame, postgame locker room, he was never really around. Um, he would usually, when we're waiting to go into the locker room post-game or during the coach's press conference, you could see him and his bodyguard kind of going out. Um, I, he spoke after Kobe Bryant's death in January. Uh, and it was only Kobe-related questions we were allowed to ask him. Um and, and he was fine with us then, and um, and there was one time pregame I can't even tell you the game, but he was around pregame. I actually I could tell you the time because he was having his annual high school tournament in D.C. at the time, and I, I asked him just what what school he does it at down there. Um, and he said St. James. Um, that's like the only interaction I've ever had with him. But he huh. he was around pregame. He made. Small talk with us for five minutes. Um, I remember one reporter also tore their Achilles, and they were talking a little about that. Um, I will spare him, but I just thought it was interesting. He walked up to Kevin, and goes, "Hey, Kevin, I'm um, so and so. I also tore my Achilles." I'm just like, "What an icebreaker!" Um, <laughs> but um, but um, yeah, I mean, and, and he was finally a great fellas, Nice talking to you guys. I'll see you later. And, and he went out and did his rehab or, or went to the training room. He kind of went out of um, went out of sight. So you know, it, it's it's. I guess it's like in in college where you get an incomplete, you know, that's kind of where I'd put it out with this right now. I mean, he, he's, he hasn't given us any reason not, you know, to to be contentious with him and and vice versa. And, um, you know, he didn't have to speak with the Kobe situation, but he did anyway. Obviously I applaud him for that. Um, you know, could have blown us off when he was in the locker room pregame and he made small talk with us for like five minutes. So, I, I mean, it's fine now. It's going to be interesting next season, but he hasn't really been around us that much. Yeah.
0: Have you talked to Ethan at all about his experiences with KD?
2: No. You know, I, I've been wanting to read his book, honestly, before I did that. He, he was in, um, he was in New York. I want to say, um, February 5th, which was, I want to say the date that the Nets played the Warriors It was early February. Cause I, I remember Anthony Slater, our other writer for the Warriors was there. And, um, I didn't even know Ethan was going to be there. I, I said hi to him, and I, I didn't even know much about the book or anything like that. And, and he asked me also kind of about where to find Kevin or if he's around. And you know, Kevin had also he wasn't at every home game. There's a few he missed for various reasons. So um, I, I haven't talked to him about it. Uh, I fully plan to uh, at some point, and I, and I want to read the book for sure as well.
0: It's uh, it's a good read. You'll like it.
2: <laughs> and um, so this is this
1: would be my my last question at least um for you Alex what what was to 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 William's previous question about KD what what is it like sort of interacting with um Kyrie and do you I don't know how how much of the Kyrie is toxic narrative do you do you buy
2: you know him and I got along pretty well actually um you know, we're both from similar parts of New Jersey. We know a lot of mutual people. Um, you know, I did the story on him with his high school that that he he appreciated. Um, I, I thought he was relatively good with us. You know, he you know we're all human beings, and there'd be some days I think he was more talkative or, or, or um, in the mood to deal with us than, than others. You know, obviously he's, he's dealt with reporters a million times. Um, I'm sure it gets old after a while, but I, I thought relatively speaking, he was he was pretty good. Um, you know, I can't really think of any, any times that it, it got contention so weird with, with him. Um, you know, obviously, we're only in the locker room so much, but you know, he, post-game, he'd be talking with a lot of different people. Um, if, if a player had one of their kids in, he'd say hi. Um, I, 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 I trust, you know, there's a really good story by my colleague Jay King about Kyrie's time in Boston that came out around the time the Nets played. In Boston for the first time in uh, in November, that is an interesting read about Kyrie and the dynamics he brings. Um, I, I definitely think that it, it's difficult dealing with stars, but you know, in, in my personal experiences, I don't, I don't really have any examples. And and again, I think it's also like ne- like next year is going to be really where we we find out if that question's answer. Now you know what I mean? I mean, he was in and out of the lineup this year. Uh, it, it was kind of a, a weird deal, just kind of how he he went mysteriously out before the Denver game, uh, came back, then went out again despite having the knee injury, which we thought was was what he why he was hurt. But then, turned out it, it's not the knee; it's a shoulder acting up again. It uh it, the the way the whole thing went down was just so bizarre. I I, I also kind of give it an incomplete till next year. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's that's fair enough. Well, Alex, we we won't keep you any longer. Thanks so much for doing this we'd love to have you on again maybe um before next season or something
2: no that's cool i had no playoff questions i was surprised
0: i mean yeah well well, give us your prediction is it a gentleman sweep uh, a four zero sweep what do you think is going to happen
2: you know um i I think it's going to be interesting because i I don't think either one would surprise me um i i think toronto was so fantastic defensively with their schemes that they're probably going to make care if we're really uncomfortable. And the, the I think the key is is that if the Nets' reserves can keep playing the way they have and, and the Raptors are going to force those type of guys to beat them, you know what does that look like? Um, and I, I think that Toronto was good enough to sweep the Nets, but the Nets have also been playing well enough to, to – uh, get it to five games. I I think if the Nets lost in six, it would be a gigantic moral victory, even though coaches say they don't believe in that. And um, I I also think if they were to win a playoff game or win two playoff games, I, I think Jacques Vaughn would have to be the favorite to get the job. I just, he would have beaten the Raptors, Lakers, bucks and Clippers with a bad roster in, in his time. I I think that I, I wouldn't, make him a lot to get the job, but I would put him as the favorite to get it if they were to win a game in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, that'd be quite a resume.
2: Given the given the, the circumstances and the short sample size, I, I think it definitely would be again it's totally
0: it's,
2: yeah. I, I, it's a small sample size, but um but I I, I don't I I think it's I, I like Jacques and I'm not trying to, you know, lobby him for the job or anything. I just I don't know how you could be a fan of the team or foul of the team and, and not be impressed with what the guy's done.
0: I've, I've been blown away by it. Yeah, it's they've been really fun to watch in the bubble.
2: Yeah. Without question. Without Jamal Crawford, too.
0: I know. Right. Who it sounds like will be back next year.
2: <laughs> I would be stunned if he isn't just based on the, the endorsement. Kevin Durant's given him all the players love him. Um, you know, I don't know how much you guys follow the Nets cap space, but they need a lot of guys on team-friendly deals, I think, because of everything they have with, with – everybody's future contracts with that Torian Prince extension, DeAndre's contract, if they re-sign Joe, um, I think he fits that bill and, um, you know, he's very, he's a very nice guy. He's very easy to deal with. The young guys love him. The older guys love him. Um, and, um, I I think, I think it'd be a cool thing for him to get a ring or try to get a ring, you know, at his age, given everything else he's done in his career. Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, all right. Willie, are we, uh, is this, uh, are we wrapping up?
0: Yeah, let's wrap up here.
1: Okay. Thanks so much, Alex.
2: We really appreciate Thank it. You. Will, I got to say your, your background, by the way, is like, like for those background judges or whatever, like I feel like you have the bookcase in the back. Like <laughs> it's like, it's like, it looks like you're coming at me from CNN or something like that. I've <laughs> wanted to say
0: that. Thanks. Uh, well, so it's been, having it's having been great. Guys. It's been great talking. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll send you the episode once it once it drops.
2: I, I got you. i definitely. I'm happy to come back on off season or before next season, whatever you guys want to do.
0: All right, sounds good. Thanks a lot, Alex. Take care, guys. All right, you too. All right, bye. So that was Alex Schiffer of the Athletic. We want to just say thanks again for him uh, coming on, giving us his time. He is the beat reporter for the Athletic. Simon, any? Quick thought on the interview?
1: Uh no. It was it was great. Um thank you so much again, Alex. Um hope to have you on again. And again, folks, can and should subscribe to the Athletic where you can read all of Alex's work as well as other athletic content uh four ninety nine a month.
0: all right and now we're gonna do a bubble breakdown.
1: The epitome, of, like if you go to the cops and you tell them uh, hi, I, I'm a, a cyber crime victim I was going on LimeWire my, my identity got stolen, there's like no, no jury in the world who convict the person no. who
0: stole your identity right um, Simon, let's get back here to some Nets Talk
1: Oh, are we recording? I'm sorry. Just that last
0: bit about LimeWire. Oh, great. It's great. Yeah. Uh, People have a right to know that (laughs) when we're not talking about the Nets, we are likely talking about a 1990s MP3 pirating platform.
1: (laughs) 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 That's not Napster. It was post-Napster... Right. those sorts of things getting shut down
0: I burned through a number of my parents hard drives using old lime wire. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't burn a CD fast enough back in the day <laughs> uh, yeah if 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 um, the sheer volume of memory I was taking up wasn't enough. Then it was it was the corrupted files that was going to bring it to its knees.
1: <laughs> I was just going to say, even in its heyday, it was certainly not a virus-free zone.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, all right, but we can't live in the past. We got to live in the present, Simon. And by present, I do mean let's look back at what happened in the bubble. Great. Um, All right. So we, the Nets, not we, Simon and I have done nothing except watch and, you know, make captious comments about the Nets. Uh, (laughs) We, the Nets did well. They surprised everyone (laughs) in the bubble. They went five and three, which um, I don't think any person alive could have predicted. Yeah. Uh, It was great showing. As we've said, they played with heart. They played as a team. They looked It was energized. It was exciting. Simon, for you, who was the bubble MVP?
1: Oh, to me, William, this is easy. Uh, Karis LeVert, um, he was was spectacular. Uh, He averaged 26.6 points per game, 6.6 assists, 5.6 rebounds on 49.1% field goal percentage, uh, he was the only net who could really, like, create their own shot um, from scratch uh, and, uh, you know, was just, you know, it was – for Karis LeBert fans like me, um, this, was, this was exactly what uh, what you, you want to see from Karis and what you, you know, always gives, keeps you hoping that um, this sort of thing
0: can continue. Um, I should also say, Simon, this is this is coming after our, our interview with Alex Schiffer. So thanks to him for being on the show with us.
1: Yes, definitely. Um wonder what he thinks of LimeWire. Maybe we'll ask.
0: Yeah, wonder- I kind yeah. of suspect he's slightly too young to really have strong feelings on LimeWire. <laughs> I think he's about a decade younger than us. Oh, boy. Yeah, uh, but yes, I I completely agree with you. Karis is the clear MVP. He even made the second team All Seeding team.
1: Oh, I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, he was on it with like Kawhi Leonard and uh, uh, other big players. <laughs> exciting. Yeah, pretty very very exciting. Uh, who for you was most improved in the bubble? Uh,
1: this for me. William was also an easy one. I would say Jared Allen, Jared Allen entered the bubble, uh, licking his wounds, uh, from being recently, uh, moved from the starting lineup to the bench where he proceeded to, you know, kind of shrink into himself. Uh, he didn't really rise to that bullying. He sort of cowered, um, and he was fantastic. I think this is the best I've ever seen here at Allen. But he averaged 16 points, 12.2 rebounds, 4.4 assists. William, which I know you were, you were wild about. He's become a, 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 a Jokic out there <laughs> uh, on 65 percent field goal percent shooting. This is truly the best I think he's ever looked.
0: Absolutely, and it's what makes the inevitable fact that DeAndre Jordan will start over him even more maddening. (laughs) Uh, I actually picked a different guy for most improved in the bubble. Mine was TLC. Oh, wow. Yeah, he he (laughs) averaged over 14 points a game, Mm -hmm. 4.6 boards, and shot 41% from three. So was knocking down from the outside. Uh, and this is coming from a guy who during the regular season or the, you know, I guess it's all part of the regular season, but the first part of the regular season before the shutdown um, was averaging seven points a game under seven points a game. So that's a pretty big leap. Two times the productivity on efficient scoring. I yeah. in. I'm in on TLC. I think he could be good long term. Wow. Okay. Like, I think he's a guy we should definitely try to keep. Okay. Uh, Who's your sixth man?
1: My sixth man, and it's a little tricky because the Nets used about 10 zillion
0: lineups. Um. Basically, (laughs) other than Joe Harris, Jared Allen, and Karis LeVert, I consider everyone on the Nets a potential for this award.
1: Yes, I agree. Um, for me, I think it's Rodi Cooks, uh, another guy who stock was completely in the tank before the bubble came back. It's not like he set the world on fire, but he was much closer to the Rodi of last year uh, than, he's, than he's been this entire season. He was tough. He was gritty. He was shooting those threes uh, with pretty good confidence he can still cut he can still you know provide. i i was impressed actually one of the things i think maybe the biggest thing is like he was actually fine as our center um and that's saying something because uh, he's not really even a power forward.
0: <laughs> right in terms of his size uh my six man simon i that's a that's a good choice i didn't see enough Of the games, honestly, to see, like, a really good roadie game, I don't think. Uh, My guy, my sixth man was was, uh, TJ, Tyler Johnson. Oh. Uh, Averaged 12 points a game on 39% from three. Top that off with three boards and three assists per game. I think Tyler Johnson, while probably not having earned himself another $50 million contract did probably earn himself a contract. Well, one, a contract in the league, which is good for him because he very easily could have fallen out of the league. And two, probably earned himself a contract that is going to be too rich for the nets to uh, pay next season. I think he probably is going to get more than the vet minimum, which I think they're probably going to be reluctant to give to TJ. Although as we know, Sean Marks is cuckoo for Tyler Johnson. Yes, that's true. The guy has TJ fever, and I, I'm afraid there is no cure for that fever.
1: Yes, if we. I don't know about you, Wayne, but I would say if we spend our mid level exception, which I think is the only thing we have to give to a free agent mm-hmm. other than a minimum contract, right. on Tyler Johnson.
0: Uh-huh. I. <laughs> I think that we would have to find a new basketball team to start talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I've put up with a lot, but that would be going uh, too far, I'm afraid. (laughs) Uh, How about bust of the bubble, Simon? Who was the biggest bust out there?
1: Oh, for me, uh, it was Lance Thomas. (laughs) (laughs) I like Lance as a person. I think he seems like a very reasonable, nice man. Um, but he was a starter for a lot of games and I never understood it. Like he, (laughs) he was at best invisible and, uh, and many times, unfortunately he was irritating because he was like missing every three pointer. He looked like he was like always a step slow on defense. Like it was just hard to identify like a good like i can't think of really like a good play
0: yeah no i I, i'll go one further than you on that one i'd say i can't remember a play good or bad that he was involved (laughs) in he was a zero impact guy on the court
1: (laughs) it was me playing soccer
0: (laughs) what position did you play
1: Me? Yeah. I was a forward. No. I A striker.
0: I (laughs) he had a nose for getting that ball in the net.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was, William, I I probably told you this before, but our listeners might not know. That I was before kids became strong enough to really be able to like kick the ball with force, I was an incredible goalie because Every other goalie at that age, I'm talking like kindergarten, maybe first grade, but especially kindergarten, I was like incredible because every kindergartner or first grader, when they are assigned to be goalie, they are just playing in the net. Like there's (laughs) zero protection. That net is too exciting for uh, whatever you are, 6 year old to to avoid. And you're just – otherwise, you're just standing there. But I had – the rapt attention that it took to, like, when a ball came, like, slowly rolling towards me, I could, like, stop it. Right. But that all ended as soon as kids' legs got strong and you could, like, actually, like, kick it hard. I was out. That was immediate out for me.
0: <laughs> and thus ended the, the soccer career. Yeah, oh, Simon what, McCormack. Who,
1: what was the goalie? It was like Tony Mioli or who's was, there was like a USA goalie.
0: Right. Had like a, a ponytail. Oh my god, who was, who was that guy? M-? <laughs> uh yeah, he had really cool like uh gloves, right? That were like yellow and black or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Uh what was his name? Uh trying to look him up right now. No, not Brianna Scurry. That's, that's not who I'm thinking of. Uh, yeah. Tony Miola. You were totally right. Hey, hey, and yeah. he had such good hair. Yes, yes. God, he had such great top hair. Tony Miola. <laughs> Is that who you sort of modeled your game after? Oh,
1: oh yeah. Unfortunately, not my hairline.
0: Yeah. Oh, my! You could do a lot worse than having Tony Miola's hair. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah. God, he had the greatest goalie like top, you know they wear like the long sleeve shirt. yeah, uh wow, what a cool guy. Wonder what he's up to <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah
0: um what who's your bust? Oh, my bust. Right. Um, my bust is Jean and Musa. Oh. I like if you're not getting a chance on this Nets team, right? With <laughs> nobody playing, like a uh, a war and peace injury list on on uh, Odd Shark NBA Odd Shark. It really like you could spend an afternoon reading through that injury list, and still Jean and Musa can't find his way into many of these games. Yeah, um, that's just disappointing, and I think it's about time. I hate to I hate to do it; he's young, but it might be about time to give up on old John and Musa being an NBA player.
1: Yeah, I think it is time to cut him loose. Um, hopefully, hopefully, uh, um, Sean Marks agrees, and Joe Sy is willing to eat that two million dollars that we've already guaranteed. Him.
0: Right. Yeah, I just don't really see what the point in keeping him around is. If he if he can't if he can't get in now, if he can't contribute in this bubble when no one's playing, then he's just he's never gonna be ready. Uh but that said he is super young, so who knows? I think I think the main knock on him is decision making. <laughs>
1: Yes, and I would say, for me, another another knock on him is no discernible talent. <laughs> like, I just don't know what he's good at in basketball.
0: He's tall. He, yeah, he's tall, that's true. I mean, I he's, he's, he's incredibly him. hunched, but he is tall. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, so Coach of the Year, Simon.
1: Are we going to go deep into the assistant ranks
0: here? For me, it's Tiago Splitter. (laughs) Finds Will Weaver. I don't even think he's in the bubble. Of course not. None of these guys are. Maybe (laughs) Tiago. (laughs) No, I mean... Basically, I just wanted to talk about Jacques Vaughn.
1: Yeah, let's
2: do it.
0: Uh, obviously, the coach of the year. I mean, many people, I think, I think uh, the Monty whatever, Williams, I think is his name, the coach of the Suns yeah. is, a lot of people are saying, is the coach of the bubble. But uh, in the same breath, people are mentioning Jacques Vaughn's name, how impressive it is that he was able to get this much out of a ragtag – Crew, I got to say, um, he was one of those, it felt a little Nick Nursey at times. You were out there watching and you could see, like, he was making him do some weird stuff on Dame in that game defensively. I mean, mostly just double teams starting in half court over and over and over. But, you know, <laughs> he made some... Some interesting calls out there. I obviously was able to inspire this team to give a shit in a game they did not need to give a shit about, which I think yeah. is a pretty huge testament to the players buying into what what he's trying to do. Yeah, completely. Um, so that, of course, brings up the question I'm sure we will get have already gotten into with Alex Schiffer. But, yeah. oh, you know, whether he's going to be around next season, um, I kind of hope. I mean, I, I, I'm i loving him now. I have no idea if he'd be good with KD or Kyrie. But I hope that it's just very, very, very obvious that whoever they chose, whoever they choose to be the coach, is, ver- is very clearly Kyrie and KD's choice. Uh-huh. Because I don't want the coach to be a potential excuse for Kyrie and KD to use if it does if the season doesn't go well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there was a Shams bomb that said several external candidates have emerged for the job, meaning the Brooklyn Nets head coaching job, according to league so- sources. Los Angeles Lakers assistant Jason Kidd is the first person he mentions. Philadelphia 76ers assistant uh, Ime Udoka. L.A. Clippers assistant Ty Lue and former Rocker- Rockets and Knicks coach Jeff Van Gundy. Uh, and. I think the the super important qualifier on former Rockets and Knicks coach, Jeff Van Gundy, is former. This was 14 years ago that Jeff Van Gundy held a a head coaching position. (laughs) Hasn't coached in 14 years. Um, We've talked about some of these guys before. The one we haven't is Ime Udoka. Simon? Scholar of coaching staffs, you're a Will Weaver nut. You're a, a, a <laughs> splitter head. Uh, what's your intel on Eme Odoka?
1: <laughs> William, E may be our new coach. <laughs> uh, I this was trying to learn. I know almost nothing about him. I did see in a, another write-up. Um, this one was about who the Bulls might um, hire, he was also mentioned, and they had like a description of all the coaches that were possible hires. And from that description, I gather he is a defensive-minded guy. I think he's mostly the one in charge of Philly's defense.
0: Uh Um, Which has been disappointing this season.
1: like ninth right and that was going to be their whole point was like that they well, were going
0: to be like a superhuman defense yeah
1: right um so yeah that, not much to recommend them but you know the nets could do for more than maybe anything getting it you know next year um you know defense i think it's going to be a, a concern um so that would be fine but i am certainly not uh you know, wild about Ime, But I don't know
0: him. Yeah, you know? I mean I heard that he's he comes out of the the Spurs. He was an assistant for the Spurs and then moved over to the 76ers. Um, he does it does sound like he is one of the assistant coaches who's almost a lock to get a head coaching job in the next year or two. Got it. Um <coughs> I don't you know, I don't know what Sean Marks' relationship with is with him is because they, I, I, I think they overlapped while at the Spurs. Oh, okay. Okay. So that's where the connection for that comes. I think, um, <clears throat> any other bubble reflection, Simon, before we, uh, sign off here?
1: Well, I would just say, um, two things, William. One is, uh, I, there's a, um, story hot off the presses from the LA Times. William, have you seen this? Have you heard about this?
0: No. Lay it Uh, on me.
1: Brooklyn, according to sources... Oh, sorry. Hang on. The lovable underdog days of the Nets are numbered, with league sources including those familiar with the Nets and the Spurs expecting Brooklyn to explore bringing the NBA's biggest coaching name, Greg Popovich, to the Nets' sidelines. Now, the next paragraph says Brooklyn, according to sources, almost certainly will be unsuccessful. (laughs) (laughs) Because the Spurs coach's legacy is so closely tied to San Antonio where he's built a life and a legacy over the past two decades. Also, he's under contract. There's a never-say-never element, according to one NBA executive, but it'll probably never happen.
0: Well, that's a captivating breaking news. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think that that doesn't add a whole lot of new information about the Popovich uh, possibility, but always good to hear that you know people are still talking about it as a possibility, however remote that possibility might be.
1: Right, and it's new to me that like that they actually are pursuing. Like this has gone from the Popovich thing is crazy to me because it has gone from something I heard from people in the blog. <laughs> you and I instantly dismissed it as like Nets fans, you know, being too big for their bridges. And it's slowly there's been kinda of like rumory stuff and now it's like, well at least the Nets are gonna try to get him. Like I don't know. That's just I would never have even thought it would get this far.
0: Yeah, no. Uh I think it could be you know, obviously if he came here we'd be having arguably the best coach in basketball history, coaching the the Nets. It's a good thing. Yeah.
1: That would be good, yeah,
0: It'd be better than say Jason Kidd <laughs>
1: uh legendary for not taking the bucks very far
0: <laughs> for being replaced, and the team going from middling to extremely dominant overnight,
1: <laughs> yeah, not a great record,
0: no, definitely not, all right, Simon um might people want to rate review send in questions etc etc
1: yes you've got to review us give us the five stars please we're begging you we've got to have it we're on a nice edge here in terms of nerves We need a five star
0: (laughs) big time big time big time
1: and i know if alex shipper were here with us he'd be saying give him five stars yeah he'd
0: say hammer that five star
1: um, we don't speak for him, obviously. I, I can't actually characterize how he feels about this. But um, give us five stars regardless. Um, send us your questions, your comments, your thoughts to maybe next time at gmail.com. Or you hit us up on our various social media channels, which include Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And find us wherever you find podcasts and subscribe to us. You know, we're there. You can't really reasonably come up with an excuse (laughs) for not finding us on a podcast platform because we're
0: there. We are there. Yeah. Um, Okay. Listeners, also, just quick idea. We often uh, have a fun, jazzy little theme at the end of these podcasts. We don't this week. I mean, we had to interview. We had other things in our mind, you know? God, why do I feel like I have to defend myself now from you fucking people? What more do you want from us? No, but my suggestion to you is, after I'm done defensively berating you, is to send a suggested theme, you know, like a wacky one. Like, what fish is most like what net? Something like that out there. Zany. Wacky. That's a good one. Yeah, we might have to. If you don't send us one, we're going to talk about what fish is most like a net.
1: <laughs> and I know about four different types of fish. So. Yeah,
0: bass, largemouth, smallmouth, carp, <laughs> northern pike. Medium mouth. Uh, oh, uh, Chilean sea bass. Oh, my God. You're a fish expert. You, just, you brought this up and you'd show uh, off your Swordfish. Salmon. Eel. Eel. Ooh, is that a, a fish? Huh? Ahi tuna. <laughs> <laughs> mahi mahi.
1: Mahi mahi, William. You shouldn't have. Trout. <laughs> okay.
0: All right. All right. <laughs> Let's just say we know fish about as well as we know the Nets. Okay, people. Tetra. Ooh. Wait. Was that wasn't you? That was that was Hillary, wasn't it?
1: No. Tetra is my favorite fish, William. Are those they... those fighting fish? No, no, the opposite. They're very communal. Oh, they, piranha.
0: They,
1: they love one another. Yeah, piranha. That's, those are the bad ones.
0: Yeah, those are meanies. Yes. Um, haddock.
1: Haddock. Ooh, yes, I love haddock. Halibut. Haddock. Ooh, yeah, just for the halibut. Uh,
0: pickled herring.
2: <laughs> or herring.
0: <laughs> or herring. Or <laughs> herring. White fish, cod <laughs> Fish sticks. <laughs> so anyway, you see what we're you see what we're getting at here. Go ahead if you want more of that sort of fun, you go ahead and you send <laughs> us a question I mean sorry, a theme suggestion, and we'll talk about it. On the air for a while, probably. That's right. Uh, I don't think it's too much to ask. No. Uh, Would you say you're more of a of a fly fisherman, or like um, a bait and bait and wait sort of guy? Bait and wait, big time. (laughs) Bait and weight.
1: I tried to do fly fishing with uh, Lane and Ashley once. Yeah. Um when I was living in Angel Fire and they kindly visited me. Yeah. And in about five minutes of doing it, I put down my pole and called you.
0: <laughs> it was so boring. Yeah, I know. It's, it's hard. Fly fishing is, is tough. Would you say on most days, Simon, that you could accurately describe your state of mind as rather be fishing? <laughs> Never. <laughs>
1: I would, I would, I have gone and would go again fishing. I'm open to it, but I would never rather be fishing.
0: You know, there's a oh, this isn't going to make a whole lot of sense, but there is a little lake right next to Foxwood Resort. Oh, yeah. So when we're up there next, we should, we should maybe go fishing, huh? Sure. I'd also like to go golfing, but um, we can talk about that offline. How about? Okay. Uh, thanks very much for listening uh, I hope you've made it to the end I think we've, we've really touched on some important issues here uh, and we will go ahead and uh, see ya next time
2: I was tired of my lady
0: we'd been together too long like a worn out
1: recording of a favorite song so while she lay Sleeping, I read the paper in bed, and in the personal columns there was this letter I read. If you like
0: piña colada.